Welcome to the Out of Darkness Podcast, Episode 5, Hellhounds. Hey, as I said, welcome to the Out of Darkness show. I'm your host, Brent. This is the show where we discuss all things supernatural, paranormal, and strange phenomena. But we have these conversations from analyzing them from the lens of scripture and using a biblical worldview. So in this episode, we're delving into a conversation that I hope is interesting for all of you. We're talking about hellhounds. Now, there isn't as much information on this topic as you would think. It seems that it's more of a thing that people experience rather than something that people have written about throughout the the millennia. So here's what I have. To start, there is an actual breed of dogs from the British descent known as a hellhound. They have a specific name, but they're known as a hellhound. But in this episode, we're not talking about a breed of dog. We are talking about a mythological idea of hellhounds and what they represent both in culture and history. So let's take a step through time and see just what exactly we're dealing with and try to understand what this could mean. One of the most famous accounts of a hellhound is from Greek mythology. This would be a mythological creature known as Cerberus. Cerberus was a giant dog with typically three heads, though in story sometimes it had more. This creature is known as the Hound of Hades. The creation of this beast and the sole purpose was to guard the gates of Hades. In Greek, the understanding of Hades is the physical location of the depths of hell. It is a physical place that they actually believe actually exists within their belief system. Now, what makes this interesting myth is the fact that it's linked with Hercules and his 12 labors, with this being one of the last labors of defeating Cerberus. Now, a little side note related to Hercules. He was in some providences of of Greece actually worshipped as a god. The way that he was painted in these areas is a Christ-like figure. So when the Apostle Paul went into these areas, this would have been something that he could have been facing as far as some of the false gods. The second one that is the most historically significant as far as legends are concerned, I would say the most infamous mythological hellhound creature would be actually from Scandinavian descent. In fact... I think this myth will make the most sense to most of you because of the name of the god and this beast that that is associated with it. This beast is in North, North, if I can actually speak, (laughs) it's in Norse mythology, there we go, and it's known as Gamar or Garm, and this is a blood-stained guardian of hell, Uh, and it's a hound. Uh, Hell actually being the actual physical place. It's H-E-L, not H-E-L-L. 
but this hound is a beast that's guarding the underworld once again. Gorm is also in the Norse saga Ragnarok. No, this isn't the uh, the Marvel version of Ragnarok. This is an epic tale that accounts most of where their worldview comes from. So based off of this, I think this is the first time in history that we're seeing the term hellhound actually being used from a historical perspective. Throughout Europe, we see all different types of accounts of hellhound creatures. Albania, there is a three-headed dog, once again, that guards the underworld. Sound familiar? Belgium, it's known as the Beast of Flanders. And once again, it's a large black dog with fiery eyes, known as a demon. In the Czech Republic, it has sightings of hellhounds still to this day. France has an interesting account, and this account goes back to 18, uh, sorry, it's 856 AD, and this is a black phantom dog that apparently gnaws on bones and drags chains. That should sound familiar to some of you. In Germany, they believe that when the devil appeared, he sent one of his black hellhounds. So this should start sounding familiar to some of you just based off of what we're talking about here. And of course, in other areas of the world, had sightings of hellhounds as well. Uh, Catalonia, there is a myth of an evil black hairy hound that's sent by the devil to suck people's blood and is associated with demons. The mythical, the mythological creature is named Dip. There are many others, but most well-documented are actually hellhounds in the UK. And I find these probably the most interesting, and I think that this is where most of the uh, the sightings that we have today are based off of is in these UK accounts. England has these sightings of these black dogs that actually go as far back as actually the 11th and 12th centuries. Most notoriously is the account in the 12th century in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle from Peterborough in which it speaks of a wild hunt through the forest between Peterborough and Stanford. Most of the legends and stories, however, come from Wales and the Welsh countryside. In the Welsh account, it is similar to that what, what is mentioned in England, but it calls its hounds, and I'm probably going to butcher this name, so forgive me if any of you are, are Welsh that are, that are listening, uh, Anwen. The Welsh myth is interesting because it didn't necessarily reside over hell per se, but an otherworldly paradise, which makes this interesting. It was Christians that dubbed these mythological creatures as hounds of hell or dogs of hell. So yes, I believe when a person is talking about a devil dog, it's the same thing as a hellhound. It's just a different name for it. But then it's... It's, it doesn't stop there. Uh, we actually go to Latin America, and there's also sightings of hellhounds from Mexico all the way to Argentina. I don't speak Spanish, so I'm not even going to try to say what all of these different hellhounds are in Spanish. But in most of the 
sightings throughout Latin America and Mexico uh, are, they believe, are incarnations of the devil or shape-changing sorcerer or a witch. We'll save the United States for last because there are a few interesting things to point out. In Arabia, or that, or that general area, hellhounds are known as jinn, which are thought to be as malevolent entities and use black dogs to manifest. They are seen once again eating the dead or digging out graves or relishing over bones. You wouldn't think this, but even China, India, and Japan also have their own versions of hellhounds, all with unique characteristics. So as you can see, hellhounds are seen all over the world and in different cultures. This is why I think that this is less of a myth and more of something that's interdimensional. There are too many witnesses in too many cultures to say that it's just a myth. Now let's get to the U.S., in the U.S., there's a story that's talked about in Meridian, Connecticut in the 19th century. This is in an area called Hanging Hills, which is high up in the mountains. And in this story, they actually reported a ghostly black dog that would approach people traveling through the region. And it was said that if you encounter the dog, once it brings joy, twice it brings sorrow, and three times it brings death. Sounds pretty interesting considering that John Bell encountered a hellhound three times and died a short while, a short while after the encounter. The second point that I have is a song. Now, you may be thinking, what does a song have to do with hellhounds? Well, I'm glad you asked. And this song is written by none other than the late, great Robert Johnson. The song is called Hellhound on My, on My Trail. And in this song, Johnson sings that the hellhound is chasing after him because he has a score that the devil has to settle. It was thought because of the song and others that many think that he sold his soul to the devil and went on the run. Obviously, the devil caught up with him and took his life at the age of 28. Or... At least the story goes that way anyways. No one really knows the full truth of not just these songs, but, well, Robert Johnson himself. I think the time, the culture, and his presuppositions had a lot to do with this. So in the South, there's a lot of things that are quite interesting. And so you have... And in the upcoming episodes, we're actually doing a special uh, related to the occults in Tennessee. Uh, and I have my good friend uh, actually uh, co-hosting me with, the, with on this series. But one of the things that we're going to talk about in that series that relates to this is the fact that in the South, it's, it's, a, it's a mixture of different cultures, right? So y you have people that are influenced from... Uh, you know, obviously like Africa and hate and Haiti and the Caribbean and, and these different areas just because of the slave trade, as we've previously mentioned in a few other episodes. But there's also presuppositions from people that came from Europe. Uh, and a lot of this has to do with superstition. And so as you can kind of see, 
we're seeing a little bit of superstition mixed in with belief systems here. But there is a common theme. And so let's let's ponder that for a little bit. Clearly, hellhounds have something to do with being a gate a gatekeeper of some sort. It seems that what's common with all these myths from Greece to the UK to Asia is that they're always related to the underworld and or sorcery. Most of these cultures had to have the idea when these beasts are interacted with that you're dealing with the devil himself. Whether you're running from the devil to try to settle a score or you're dealing with the occults, I believe that it's possible that these manifestations that you could actually, as a result, be dealing with a hellhound in some capacity. Again, so... I'm not going to go into the full story, but this is something that is a common occurrence related to the Bell Witch story. And I had mentioned that in a couple of different episodes. And what's interesting about hellhounds, it's the way that they're always seen. And for the most part, it has to do with death, sorcery, and the underworld. Now, this is kind of an area to where I lean on the myths because that's really all we have to understand and how we can understand that this is even possible. And the occults, it's always an inversion of scripture. Always. There, there's always a twisting or a misconception or some type of manipulation that they do with scripture because... The occults is literally, the, the whole entire idea of that, right? So it's out of light. So light representing God, representing Christ, and also representing uh, the scripture. So there's always something that represents God and in, in, his, in his glory. Okay, so is there a creature that God uses to represent his glory? Is there a gatekeeper of sorts in scripture? Well, I think there is. And one of the best examples of this would be in Genesis, when man is cast out of the Garden of Eden due to sin. God puts a cherubim and a cherubim at the gate of the garden to never allow man to walk with God the way that Adam did before the fall of sin. And we have to have something that allows us to come to God, and that way is Jesus. So, did God use these means of having these, these creatures or these beasts in a sense of being a gatekeeper? So, yeah, God did put a creature at the gate of garden, the, at the, the gate of gar the Garden of Eden to keep people out. Now, what's so interesting about this is that I believe that the Garden of Eden was a temple and that this was the place that God dwelt with his creation. Now, the scripture reveals this in several different ways. I'm not going to go into the whole entire details, but the point that I'm trying to make here is that God had mercy on his creation and preserved the life of his creation. 
Scripture always points to Christ and always points to the preservation of life. This is not what a hellhound is. A hellhound always, for the most part, represents death and the underworld, and, and this is in most cultures, as, as we're seeing. A hellhound, it seems to point to sorcery, which God's Word tells us that God sees this practice as an abomination. And it, I know I've said this in other episodes, but the word abomination, the reason why that word is used is because God hates it. And so outside of Christ, there is no salvation for those that practice any of this. I want that to be clear for those listeners that just think that I'm, you know, blowing you smoke in a certain sense. This is, this is true. This is what Scripture says. Now, other different versions, as far as the English versions, may not say abomination, but if you look at the original text in the Hebrew, it translates to abomination. And so it seems as though what the occultic world is using to, to basically point to their belief system, which ultimately represents death. There's no, there's no life in the occultic world. There's no life in hell. So hell in itself, I, I also want to make this clear. So different cultures, and me being a former occultist myself, I had a very twisted understanding of what hell is. I, I want to say this before we uh, kind of end the show here, but the, the whole point here, okay, is to explain what hell actually is from Scripture. Hell is the full wrath and judgment of God. The full wrath and judgment. This is not something that's partially. This is not something that in most occultic worlds and most pagan worlds, they see hell as a fun place or a place of nothingness. This simply isn't the case. It is not the truth, okay? And we're always going to point to Scripture on this. And what Scripture says is that hell is the full wrath and judgment of God for those that are unbelievers, that those do not believe in the Son of God, Jesus. And so with that being said, you have a hound that is essentially being a gatekeeper in a certain sense to a world that is trying to base their whole entire understanding off of death and, well, death. And so why would I say that? Again, preservation of life is something that's extremely important, folks. And that's always going to be a theme. So if you want to stay in this understanding of, of hellhounds, and, and maybe you've experienced a hellhound, please let us know if you have, and, and we'd like to try to understand it more. Uh, as, you know, if you have experienced one. Uh, and you would think that with all the different experiences that I've had in my life that I've encountered one, and I, I haven't. Uh, praise God for that in a lot of ways. But I hope that this is helpful 
for those that want to understand these types of manifestations better. I encourage you to think about all the things that were talked about and analyze them from your own point of view. You decide what you believe and who, who you believe in. If you have any suggestions of topics that you'd like us to discuss or inquiries about the Out of Darkness podcast, please reach out to us via Facebook or Instagram, or you can email us in indarknessindelight at gmail.com. That's all for now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more content. God bless.